Where square board? Where square board? Now Gali still where square board? Where square board? Where square board? Now Gali still where square board? Hi, this is Yasmin Belkis Ibrahim. And this is Yasmin Mesh Johnson. We are Y Square Pod. Thanks for tuning back into the pod, y'all. Um, today, in today's episode of Have a Conversation with, we have a phenomenal person. I will say a little bit of his bio before you guess who he is. Um, he was a TED Fellow. He is a TED Fellow. Um, he is also a doctor, like, but not like our former guest. He is an academic doctor. Um, he is the Minister of Basic and Secondary School Education, as well as the CIO of DSCI here in Freetown. He is Dr. David Moina Senge. Thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, Minister Senge. Thank you very much. Uh, would you like to just introduce yourself? Well, I feel like you've done a really good job at that. <laughs> <laughs> but he can sell himself better than I can. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what I'll say beyond what you've said. <laughs> you know, I'm CIO, Chief Innovation Officer of DSCI, and a father of three. And, I don't know, I enjoy music. Nice. How, how did DSDI come about? Uh, it's the president's vision. I mean, the Directorate of Science, Technology and Innovation really is based on a framework that if we want to transform Sierra Leone, it has to be using non-conventional methods and um, maybe some three years prior to the election, the president and I met um, in London and had long conversations about about the, about his vision and um, technology and innovation were critical parts of that vision. And so when he became president and he separated the Ministry of Education, Science and Technology into basic and senior secondary and technical and higher, um, he wanted to bring innovation close to him and close to his vision. And so the STI was a was, was his idea um, around how we use science, technology, and innovation to support the national development plan and to support the transformation of Sierra Leone. Nice, great. Um, so you talked about um, the president's vision and coming back to Sierra Leone, but like from MIT to DSDI, apart from like national development and like um, being an, uh, a patriot, what really brought you back to Sierra Leone to serve the government? Uh, the president's vision. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think, with yours. I think it's, um, <laughs> there are not many people who I've met who care about the country and who really understand and have a vision like he does. And I think many people don't understand that, uh, but it's true. It's that when we talk about Sierra Leone or the future, we can't stop talking and we can't stop um, learning and sharing and teaching. Um, and I think he spent a lot of time thinking about Sierra Leone in ways uh, that not many people have spent time thinking about Sierra Leone just because he served as a young leader and um, he's been in this process for a while and so we we align in, in our vision for for the country i personally for me as an individual there's nothing more fulfilling than service i the, the thought of being of service to people the thought of creating solutions that will transform um society the thought of being part of a group of people who solve problems every day is is very interesting to me and so when I 
I, I did some of that at IBM, I did some of that at MIT, but it wasn't directly for my country. And being able to think about those questions, those challenges, some of them we've always heard and we've always thought about. And now actually being in a position to solve them um, is, is, is why I came back. Okay, amazing. After being appointed the Minister of Basic Secondary Education, how do you balance doing both the role of a minister and also being the CEO of DSTI and your other endeavours? Um, so Basic and Senior Secondary Education is, again, the President's Framework on Free Qualities of Education, Universal Access and Equity. Um, and to be able to do that, I mean, one of the first things I did when I came was to write on my whiteboard in my office and we, I had three priorities. One was on restructuring the ministry and the other one was on data and digitization. And the third one was on policy, transmissional policies, curriculum, learning outcomes and everything. And the second data and digitization is what DSDI is about. And um, we, we have a national innovation and digital strategy titled Digitization for All. And it has digital economy, digital governance, and digital identity. And at the core of identity and governance is education, really. And so it's the same thing. It's, it's a continuation of my work and just more direct ways in which I guess we apply the, the strategy and vision in the SDI within the ministry. Um, I mentioned that it used to be education science and technology anyway and so in terms of curriculum and learning they're they're very linked they're very interlinked and so it's again for that extension of that work but DSTI needs to stand alone because we work with Ministry of Finance we work with NRE we work with local councils we work with that with everybody and um, it's also about building the entrepreneurial ecosystem so private sector the I have a good team. I have a young, energetic team at DSTI, and the CEO um, of the, the COO, Miss um, Michaela McKay, is phenomenal, and she has a, a great leadership. And there are other people who are serving as, you know, within um, the leadership who are also good people. And the young technical guys are. That they're young, technical, and exciting to work with. So I'm not, I'm, I was never worried, and I'm always in touch with 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 the team. Um. Yes, I don't know if you're aware, but Sierra Leone is um, <coughs> one of the second countries in Africa to have a drone corridor. You know, the one that Raki Sese went to in Malawi. Yeah. yeah. And I'm all for like you know pushing <coughs> digital. Um. But like in a country like Sierra Leone, that. Um, the digital divide is really large. How does the Free Education Initiative and DSDI come to fulfill those gaps? Um, it's, a, it's a good point. I mean, uh, I mean precisely, uh, that's where the link between DSDI and education also comes in. Mm. One of those projects is called GIGA. GIGA is an initiative with UNICEF, ITU, the UN, DSDI, the government of Norway. And GIGA is seeking to connect schools, all schools to be connected online. If you think about where schools are, schools are in communities, and the people who Sierra Leone, I don't know, 30, 36%, 37% of our population are beneficiaries of the FQSE program. So that is key to one preschool all the way to SS3. That's a major part. That's, uh, if they all have access to connectivity, that's more than the 
I don't know, 18, 20% um, data, percentage of the population who have access to data now. So just doing um, the link where we provide connectivity to schools expands by, uh, by 10 points, uh, 10 percentage points easily our connectivity access and because the schools are within communities usually then a lot more people are able to access connectivity but i was reflecting with one of my um friends the other day that sierra leone yes is a big digital divide in, in many other countries but because of our plans with um with 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 the with the national innovation and digital strategy um, many of these communities are going to go from 0G to 4G and that's exciting it's, it's, it's when you think about hybrid technologies and it's an old word now but leapfrogging uh, that's beyond leapfrogging uh, if you have Sincunia in Palaba they had no power, they had no electricity but now they have 24 hour electricity because they have off-grid solutions and they have solar solutions there through the government project um, with UNAPS uh, these, these communities are going to go from I never had power to I have power that's renewable and clean and I have 4G mm. and there are many sites like this so rural electrification is, is, is growing mm. linked to connectivity um, I'm excited about the future oh that's really cool I was just about to ask um, this collaboration is it also with solar energy but you've answered my question so that's really cool yes. um, does Giga stand for anything? Good question. Uh, <laughs> probably Giga. I got, I got either. Uh, yes, um, it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, I want to ask you how does the ministry measure the standards of both private and government schools? Yeah, um, I think there are questions around. And this, this is the false perception, and maybe I don't know if you have a follow up question on quality. But there are, there are people who believe that quality is reduced, but it's, it's just false, it's perception, okay? Uh, if you, and, and the way to prove that is take any metric, any metric, and let's look at it over the five years, including the last two years that we've been in governance. It's all upwards, it's all positive. Enrollment numbers, they've gone up between 34% to 50%, depending on which category you're talking about. Completion rates have gone up. Gender parity is achieved at basic education level because now many more girls are coming and are attending school and completing. Um, um, how do you call it? If you, if you have normalized pass rates, if not gotten worse, even with the increase of students, there are challenges. Now, if we expand and now you suddenly have 30, 30%, 34% more people who are in school, but you've not increased the classroom sizes in that way, of course you're going to have um, overcrowding in classrooms. So what, what are you going to prefer? Overcrowding in a classroom or half of the population in the village not having access to school? I think I just overcrowding in the classroom for one or two years as we expand that. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's uncomfortable, that's difficult, but for a country, that's not reduced quality. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, um, and you have communities and villages who are building classrooms. And so people who, you know, I don't know, have breakfast in the morning can go online and be like, oh, look at this poor quality education. That's not how you measure quality in that case if access is the unit that you're talking about. Um, if you think about teachers and teaching enrollment, the teaching workforce is the largest public sector workforce in the country. 
majority of our government budget uh, in education goes to paying teachers. There are 80,000 teachers in the payroll, public and private, uh, 85,000, 60,000 including community teachers. Only about 33,000 are paid on payroll by government. That's still a lot. Um, and as we do reassessment, we need more teachers, right? If we add more pupils, we need more teachers, we need more classrooms. And with the projects that we're doing with the World Bank, for example, we are going to build about 510 classrooms over the next couple of years. And we're expanding um, teacher training and teacher uh, continuous professional development. So that is not just for public schools or public supported schools. It's also for private teachers, right? So teachers, private school teachers, they, we, 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 we're having curriculum. We have civics for the first time in Salon. And this is a civics uh, textbook that's sitting on my desk and I have to create it when we, we, we deliver it for everybody. When we, um, our COVID intervention, I want radio teaching programs to be a mainstay. We will expand it and every child in Sierra Leone who now can access radio all 87 percent with normal radio and we'll try to increase that 100 percent should have access to radio um education because there's value in that and we've seen the value through this process that is increased quality and that's beneficial for everybody yeah there's um ipa innovation poverty action did a survey earlier in june or something and the difference between wealthy and poor homes their perceptions in education and how they access education is almost universal. They have the same challenges, they're using the same resources. They, and for me, one of the things that I have learned, particularly on my trip, I just came back from a long tour um, across the country, is that we need, we will develop what, I, what I'm calling the village school policy and just have remoteness as a remoteness as a metric in all the other policies that we do because it's easy for us to assume that you know um, access and quality and those images are just for Freetown and Boo and McKinney right? it's about the child who has to walk three miles on the rain with the black plastic uh, where they're carrying their textbook and why they may or may not have their textbook because it's going to get wet and the teacher who has to wait until all the children come from the farms and go to school so they start at 9 or 9.30 um, Education in Sierra Leone has universally not been equitable. The standards in just Western area is completely greater than everybody else. And then in urban centers, which is rural centers, and that's not, that's not just, that's mm. not equitable. And I need to work with my team to make sure that that changes. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, in line with uh, trying to make uh, education more inclusive and equitable, I know you've done uh, work, um, substantial work in um, prosthetics. How do you kind of bridge the gap with um, children or students with disabilities to make it more uh, inclusive in Sierra Leone? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, one way is um, there's a, a phrase, now radical inclusion, which we have been using. I think the president first used it in November last year, and now everybody uses it uh, globally. Right? Okay. Uh, and, and inclusion, but I think it's radical inclusion. Really, just means as our guiding principle, it's the guiding principle of the ministry now. Um, that will stop at nothing until every child, every girl, every pregnant girl, every child with a disability, physical, cognitive, mental, can access education. Um, and I think it's, I'm passionate about it because that's what my area is, my, my research 
um, was focused on how you make comfortable interfaces for the human body. Um, and when people have amputations or um, disabilities that require them to wear or use extra braces or extra uh, prosthetic devices, comfort usually matters. And my research was how do you design comfortable interfaces for the human body. It's interesting you asked that because I was in Kabbalah um, yesterday and I met this child who I saw had a below knee amputation um, and he had his crutches. So I engaged and I asked him to come and chat and he'd fallen from a tree and broke his leg. Um, he was playing, he was playing this game where you hit the ball around the tree um, and he, the, the, the rope got stuck up in the tree and he climbed the tree and he fell and shattered his um, like so he has an amputation um, and I took and I could see why he may not wear prosthetic because I, I don't know whether they have prosthetics in Kapala or not but I will I took his details and I'll try to engage um, I thought that I'll do a lot more design that I've not really done designs um, since, I came, <coughs> since I came back um, but uh, I do think about the topic that's on top of my book is on disability. <laughs> um, I think about disability access in terms of how they, their mobility, psychological being and all of that. So that's my title. Okay, that's good to hear. You, you mentioned a few um, things about um, access to education, making sure everyone has access, whether um, it's girls with pregnancy, but what would you say has been your proudest moment? Proudest moment. Yeah. With regards to what? With regards to access or with regards to just to access, I'd say. Yeah. I think having pregnant girls go back to school is um, that was a big one. Is a is a big one. Yesterday, I was talking to one of my staff who was advocating for a J for an SSS in their chiefdom. Okay. Um, they don't have one in the lower part of the chiefdom, like many villages. And the community has a structure, the community will do the furniture, and I just needed to approve. And um, he was telling me that he himself is a victim because his child is pregnant now. Um, mm. His child is a victim, but you know. Mm. Um, and the reasons why these things happen, we can prevent. Um, they're simple decisions like give people um, examination centers so they don't have to move 40 miles and go stay in a town for one month taking WAS exams. You know, people do things. And in Palabar, a couple thousand girls got pregnant just from when they went to take exams from Palabar town to Sinkunia give them a center and everybody's happy. Everybody's, their children are not getting pregnant in the same way every year. It's the same story. Um, if you think about, I don't know, school for the blind, there's school for the blind across the country. They need computers, because, um, you know, type, nobody's using typewriters anymore. It's a simple decision for me to give them computers and to, um, to establish schools and places. There are lots of things that I'm happy about, but I usually think about them as simple things. You know, it's, it's, it's simple for me to give communities an exam center. 
but it transforms the entire community. Um, one of the decisions I just made recently was to establish GSS in, <coughs> in 16 chiefdoms that did not have GSS. That chiefdom is transformed forever because all their children who either stopped in primary school and did not move or who moved and they had to figure out now they don't have to move. Um, those are simple decisions for me, but they are not. I recognize the impact, but when I make them, when we make them, they're not like made from, oh my God, it's going to transform society. Mm. Then we make them, we know they will have positive impact. But then you, you go to these communities and everybody is just like, oh my God, that, thank you for that decision. That's so phenomenal. Um, those things are nice okay. to see because then you have an impact. And it, it keeps us going, I guess. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the access, <clears throat> increasing access. Um, I think setting up the curriculum units has also been good. To so set up a basic education framework, I think I'm very proud of that. The civic education framework, setting that up, setting up the entire unit. Um, I'm excited about the work we're doing with digitization. The main things I'm excited about. Great. That's great. Uh, in line with uh, transformative change, so like what the minister was talking about, um, the ban has been uplifted. You know, back in March, I was really excited about that because during Ebola, over 14,000 girls became pregnant and they were stigmatized and they weren't allowed to take exams, you know, as long as they were visibly pregnant, in quotes. Um, in line with that, with the um, comprehensive uh, sexuality education curriculum that's come about, um, you can answer either um, in your position or in your personal opinion. Do you think this will also curb the high teenage pregnancy epidemic? Of course have? it does. And I think that's the irony. That's the thing about myths um, and the false perception that people have. Um, we've been taking numbers. We're not talking high thousands. Eh? Mm. The girls who came back into school. And actually now we see more because they come. They're allowed to come. And mm-hmm. They, it's it's such a false fear that people have, and that's because we now took this. You know, I, I go to these talks, um, and then this the cool conversations I I talk about I talk about it, and I and you see the faces of the chiefs or the local people who like you know girls don't sleep at night and dream they have they, they get pregnant. It's not like you you have a beautiful dream in in the night and you wake up you're pregnant. <coughs> Things happen. And those things that are happening are happening with men and older men. And so when you, the people don't like to talk about sex. People don't like to talk about, even though they all do it. Mm. We all do, we all have sex, but people don't talk about it. And certainly in the instance when we know that it's sex that's leading to girls getting pregnant and sex with older men, they also don't want to talk about it because you don't want to face it. So mm. I usually force the conversation. <laughs> um, and they, and then I say, and I break down their myths, and uh, because if you say, ah, the girl who's pregnant is going to influence my child who's also pregnant in class, you're like, well, when they are praying to God in the mosque and in the church and sitting next to each other, they're not influencing them in church, <laughs> in school, or, they influence, or when they sleep at house, you know, we, we all play, we go to the same market, we don't influence them when we go to the market, we don't influence them when we when we are playing and sleeping in the same house, it's in class that will influence them. You know, that's how influencing works. It only happens in the class. Right. Um, and then the, the sad one, in which they don't 
which they didn't realize is if you're under 18, it's a crime, it's rape, because the child will not have given consent. Mm -hmm. So you're asking me to punish somebody who's a victim again? Is that what you're asking me? You're asking me why am I not punishing a child who is a victim of rape? And that usually maybe forces them to think a little bit. Um, and um, also something that works, has worked a little bit, is um, maybe the, just uh, us being very open and engaging with, with it has been. The, the, but there are just many false perceptions and false traditional hold-ups um, that don't make sense and we have to change them. Yeah, and I really hope with the, um, the introduction of the comprehensive sexual <coughs> education, that would help also to kind of uh, remove those, um, those myths and misconceptions. Yeah, and we just have to be more direct with it. But in PHE, in RME, you know, it's not like people did not study these things. Uh, yeah, for sure. But they're like, they, go, they beat around the bush. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, but I'm happy. I'm happy that that's a critical thing. I'm happy that we're combining... Um, policy with curriculum um, in classroom business, and with community stakeholder engagement mm-hmm. uh, also within this new curriculum would there be anything in terms of career development because I always joke like um, since I've come to Sierra Leone I feel like there's three main professions people know about lawyer, doctor, engineer so is there any Thing that's in place within this curriculum that will introduce students to potential career paths? I hope so. I mean, one of the major changes in the basic curriculum framework um, is what we call the five C's. Computational thinking, comprehension, civics, critical thinking, and creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm going to set up a task force on creativity and some music soon. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> and we'll have music be examinable and um, I don't know maybe the task force will say we should make a compulsory for everybody to take a creative subject uh, which I'll be happy mm-hmm. be I don't want to influence them I believe in creativity <coughs> and entrepreneurship and um, things like that I agree. Uh, so let's shift away from education. Let's learn more about uh, you being a TED fellow. How was that? And um, how, do you, how do you think other Surulians can come to the TED platform? Yeah, I think TED is fantastic. I mean, I think I always get friends and everybody, you girls, you ladies, you young women should apply. Um, a couple of things. The application transformed my life. Just the person, just the application itself. <laughs> because it forces you to value yourself, yourself. Yeah. it's a beautiful um, application process even if just for the process of applying it's worth applying to to see the questions and to mm-hmm. force yourself to understand what is the thing that i'm doing why am i doing the things i'm doing what's the impact that i desire um it is beautiful because it's a mix of people from all around the world who watches the nicest friends you have and uh, from every the artists the creatives and so my biggest creative collaborations have been with artists um my first music video i don't go um it's, it's a beautiful work i did with this guy who did um still motion and with art that was just um 
him learning Creole and getting things about Sierra from Sierra Leone and us doing that was great. And he was in Vietnam, he was this American guy, Joey. I have collaborated with somebody recently who's a, a creative artist for TED Countdown. We built um, uh, an art display that talks about the urgency for climate change, but really everything. It's, it's a blinking LED that says it's time. Right? It's my time, it's our time, it's about time to do stuff to transform this, whatever um, you care about. And I, I believe that, and I remember how that came about was me, as I saw her work, and I had this idea of putting up on Lester Peak. Big, it's time that you can see from all of us here in the well, Freetown, whatever. You know, like the Hollywood sign? Mm -hmm. um, put it up there. <laughs> um, and drew it up, sketched it, and to see it now being launched in, in Dallas, in um, everywhere, and we'll bring it to Sierra Leone, it's fantastic. Okay. It can't happen without having friends who can transform your ideas. There are lots of other ways in which the, the, the TED Fellowship and meeting a senior fellow um, was beneficial. Okay, great. That's great. We look forward to seeing it. And there are lots of other artists. Um, Leads the ambassador who did Beyonce's new video. Oh. Um, Blinky Bill is a great musician in Nairobi. They're just people who are awesome, who help you think outside the box. Great. You started telling us about your collaborations, but um, yeah, just tell us a bit more how both fashion and music influences you on a daily basis. Every day. Um, if I have a major event, I always wear my own clothes. <laughs> and I never go to... There's no major thing I've had that's not one of my clothes, one of the clothes that I designed or one of my mom's. Um, my mom, I grew up in a home, my mom is a seamstress and she's retired now. And she worked in the Ministry of Education actually as a clerk, grade two clerk. Um, and she, she sews, but she sewed for herself every week because um, it's fun and it's a passion and I remember in primary school that I had to do my own handiwork for you know the, what the, the, the thing where you have to do creative stuff and I made my own handkerchief and I did embroidery on it I remember it not being very good um, but I enjoyed it I enjoyed hanging out with my mom I enjoyed looking at color, I enjoyed my grandmother, then did patchwork, and I enjoyed spending time with my grandmother. And so when I was in college, I had the freedom to then design and come up with stuff. I would design um, and send to my mom, and I started a television shop, my first investment as a freshman kid. You said it was, um, was in the shop, um, and they would make stuff. I rejected most of them, uh, but my, my mom knows what I like, um, and we still fight about what I like and, um, in terms of fitting and in terms of style. And I, everywhere I go, I look at stuff, I am sketching these old sketches in all of my books because I'm trying to always think about this beauty in art, this beauty in creativity. Um, and so I still, I still do. 
for music my old my oldest brother maybe when i was eight or nine i'll join their club i'll go to the club at 2am and compete in rap battles um with other groups i was i wrote my own rap lines at eight nine i would join them and go to the club and i remember that there's a time when I was I, when we when I just come to from one because I went to Prince of Wales I did swimming pool. I think I was out in the club at three a.m. Um, with my <laughs> with my brother and my mom allowed me I guess to. And so when I went to Norway, I found cool playing the guitar, so I picked up the guitar, and I got to do that in college, and then I mess around with the guitar a little bit mm-hmm. and then um, in grad school because I had lots of simulations and simulation models those models took a long time to run um, the computer and we have a studio at the, at the MIT Media Lab and um, I would go to the studio I found this guy through one of my other 10 fellow friends actually who makes beats uh, brainy beats in Ghana and he works with Samini um, good guy um, and he will send beats, paid hundred bucks per beat. Um, either I come up with a vibe, I send it to him, and he makes a beat, or he sends me some things that I like, and I go to the studio and record. And I did a lot of writing and recording. And now I'm here. I came and I met. There are lots of again bio in the in BSTI um, managers Drizzly League. Spent time with Drizzly League. Wrote for the degree song, and I loved writing and working with them creative young people um, and i met that group bash who produces most of their stuff in um in, um, in they're all young awesome fellas went to danny's studio and i have an album coming out in november i have an album called love notes the salon and it's uh recorded it of the last three four months um, and I, I'm doing a video again. So for the video, I asked Bayer to find individual young Sierra Leoneans who give the concepts to, and it's up to them to do the video because I want to celebrate their creativity and I want them to... So the entire process from the beats to the collaborating with, um, with August 16 and featuring um, uh, Tracy Lee and one of them to the production, I write all my stuff. So it's writing. It's about um, it's 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 love notes to salon. <laughs> it's um, the first track is called Dear Salon. It's a love letter, a letter to salon. Um, to now see that being done in a creative video will be an experience. I'm excited about that. So these things maybe help nourish my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not seen as extra it's just part of what I do it's just who I am great I think that's what I like most about Sierra Leone because people are very versatile and they have different things and not just doing one job but how do you stop yourself from getting overwhelmed I guess my following question is do you have a self-care routine um, I started one of the benefits of TED is you get lots of gifts so I got a, <laughs> a meditation uh, gifts um, online gifting from them okay. so I've been doing meditation um, the guitar is good I play the guitar okay. 
chatting with young people is always fascinating. I still code every now and then. Um, coding is good, solving problems is good. So part of what you do is actually your self-care. <laughs> you enjoy it. The music yeah. is self-care. The, the, fashion. The, the fashion is self-care. Would you ever do a fashion line? He has one. I do have one. Oh, okay. Um, a, and um, will I... I thought it was I, just personal. Like, you just... No, but I have thought about it. Um, again, mm-hmm. to do... Um, but, so, the self-care is I don't beat myself up for not doing it yet. Right. Okay. I don't, it's a it's thought, like, so I have when it happens. The, um, the first album I was going to have is called hat strings which is interesting because in love notes it's also the strings and the link to it's always part of what i enjoy about writing is the double entendres and the and the triple meaning and the symbolism and that's what i love about hip-hop and, and, and crazy punk and hat strings was um it's about sierra leone when i was away right okay and then love notes it's both musical notes as well and like being love notes to Salon is about me being here and um, but those things I don't I thought I was going to write hat, do hat strings many years ago mm. I didn't but I was never stressed about it really <laughs> yeah it's coming it's, it's brewing <laughs> exactly and with love notes it was I woke up one day and was like great whatever I'm having an album okay. um, and record it and it's gonna be bad. <laughs> you know, but why would I not kind of be surprised that you're also a musician in and I say this in quotes, like you have the stereotypical look, you wear your own clothes, you have the dreadlocks, you know, I have dreadlocks too, but I wanted to ask, um, in terms of like all the work that you've done, um, both private and public, um, do you think that um you have a responsibility to kind of um curb that stereotype that about people who wear dreadlocks because i get this all the time so i always ask fellow dreadlockers sure, sure. what do you get like what is, what questions do you get asked i just dyed my hair again i know it's really nice um, and one of my colleagues one of my senior colleague cabinet ministers when he saw me came and said nice blondie I was like, <laughs> but i said i said thank you i don't think he meant anything bad mm. um but it's nobody judges me. My boss, the president, has never, ever, ever, never asked me about my dreadlocks. Never, ever, 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 ever. As you should. It's just hair, but you know. And so, if my boss it's and fine. the VP have never asked me about dreadlocks, who's gonna ask me? Exactly. Who gonna check uh, me? I mean, if you ask me, if, unless you're giving me a compliment, it would be thank you. But you're not gonna tell me to cut it. Exactly. Uh, my father and I had a fight about this many years ago for a long time. I've had this now for 12 years. Okay. Um, when I was just starting, I was in college, I was young, and my father thought, uh, dreadlocks can never, you can't be taken seriously, what is he going to say about you, what is he going to say about my friends, what is he going to be, you know, you, you cut it when you graduate from Harvard. Uh, yeah. And I got to MIT. You cut it when you graduate from MIT. Yeah. No. And then I got to IBM. You cut it when you're IBM. No. And I became a manager. But you cut it when you're, I mean, if you're state house, you're in government. Uh, no. But by then he had. He's he, given then up. He, okay. And so he often. Um, he does now like when I braid it nicely or every now and then he jokes that I should dye it. Um, 
he does have an interest in what what dyes I use now if I dye it, but I think it's a question of I don't see it as a responsibility. My responsibility is to young people. I need to show that young people can be leaders and can lead effectively, and we can lead from an early age. We can um, we can transform society. I do have a responsibility to demonstrate that through the work that I do and through other young people that I inspire, other young people who I engage with. That I feel. Um, it's, I also have a responsibility to, to celebrate Sierra Leone. Um, when I am in any event, like I said, any event, if I'm, I don't know, hanging out with Bill Gates or I'm hanging out with some random president and they say nice shirt, I'll be like, yeah, it's from home. Yeah, we make it. <laughs> then you, you force the composition that they have to learn about home. Exactly. Home is Sierra Leone. Home is where we include batik in our fabric home is where country clothes what's country clothes country clothes is that home mm-hmm. is, is those things and I never shy away from that because we have a responsibility no I agree that's great um, I was to ask you how do individuals and organisations go about collaborating with the ministry so, for example, if somebody had an idea to provide resources, how would they best? I think it depends. Like, you young women, you just go into my Twitter uh, uh, message and send me a Twitter message, and there you have it. Um, others, but there's a formal process. We have what we call service level agreements that organizations have to sign with us and Ministry of Planning. Um, just so because there was no coordination in the sector and across the development uh, sector. And those service level agreements with who are doing the desk. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I'm doing when we do the restructuring of the ministry, it will be my most, um, be what I'm most excited about. This is number one thing that I thought I would do is um, as part of that restructuring process, we're setting up a, um, a directorate of partnerships and financing. And the director of partnership and financing will have a desk there that's focused on that's focused on um, making this stuff easy. Okay, great. Um, so uh, our final question uh, would be: What would you say to other young Syrians who um, they feel like there's a glass ceiling in certain um, sectors, especially? Uh, the bureaucracy or the nepotism of Sierra Leone, uh, what would you say to them? I, you know, there are certain things that I don't do. I never compare myself to other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who you are, what you, like, I never do. It's, it's just never a thing. And when people try to compare others to me or me to others, it's just, it doesn't, I'm the one who knows when I sleep, I'm the one who knows when I wake up, and I know when my cup is full, and when... So, I, so that's why I'll say, if you don't compare yourself to anybody, then your ceiling, the height, let's assume, first of all, that there's a ceiling, okay? And there's a wall. What matters is how high is the ceiling and how wide is the wall. If the ceiling is the sky, it's great ceiling. If the ceiling is... Uh, two centimeters above you, whatever <laughs> then you have to do, right? It's it's how high is whatever that ceiling is. 
they are sealing their bi structural barriers that exist. It's, you want wide walls, wide rooms, and high ceilings. Um, and if you don't compare yourself to anybody, then you don't. Then you you have to define how high you want to go and how wide your activities can be. That's one. The second part is, you know, a lot of people um, told me, not people directly. I wasn't ready to be a minister. I wasn't ready to be a minister in <coughs> NBSSC. It's the largest one. It's the most like that. It's difficult. But then the teachers, it's just. A, the only, you know, and I, uh, I've said this, the only person who believes that I'll be a good minister of education was the president, eh? Does the, everybody else sat somewhere and go, ah, I know, I know already, it's I mean, uh, too early, it's too... And who are they to judge? <laughs> and I'm happy that my boss believes that mm. I could, and I, I'm just getting started, I'm just, I'm super excited about the future, um, in this, in this space. And I think it's the message to young people is if anybody tells you they're ready, uh, it's up to you for me whether you're ready or not. Um, nobody can tell me what I'm ready for or not ready for. No one. And if nobody can tell me what I'm ready for or not ready for, you can't define what I can break on that break. And you can't define how high my ceiling is. Um, it's and it's easy for people to then say, ah, you're arrogant. It's your you feel say savvy pass all man or um, there are many things that people will say and they're entitled to it. It's their opinion that doesn't define who we are, it doesn't define me. If you feel like I'm arrogant because I didn't respond to your hate or your knowledge that you're trying to impact me and your Facebook comments good for you I'll go, go talk to the grandmother in Falaba um, and see what, I, what they think if they think I'm arrogant because I know that we our kids will do well and that will do better and there's quality education again good for you go talk to the people in Banff or the 16 districts chiefdoms now who have GSS, uh, the, the, the girls who can access school. I don't do it for critics, actually. I don't work to prove critics wrong. I don't work to prove anything. I don't want to prove that I'm not one way or the other. I just leave. And I think young people spend a lot of time trying to leave to prove a point. Mm -hmm. If you're proving to show that you're not arrogant or you're not, you're just confident all the bad then you do things that you think people will judge to be that. Um, and I desire to never live my life to prove a point for somebody else's judgment. Because, and this is a thing that I say, if I, did, if I didn't die tomorrow, I will die happy. I, I'm, everything I'm doing now is what I want to be doing. There's nothing I'm doing today that is not generally what I want to be doing or where I need to be. So the decisions I make now, I'm happy with for if they were my last decisions. That's great. One more question. Um, who inspires you? Do you have anybody who inspires you? Maybe lots of people inspire me. Lots of, lots of people inspire me. Um, I have lots of good mentors and friends. Dr. Boyman, 
service is great. The president, President Bill, is really inspiring. I don't think many people have an opportunity to chat with him, but he is. <coughs> he's inspiring enough that I left everything to come join him. Uh, he is very inspiring, and I do enjoy my chat with him. Uh, my pet, my mom, my what, my family, you know, the Amazon. Bill Gates is inspiring, very clever, very smart, I do. Yeah, Nicholas, lots of people, Jackie, there, there are many people who are inspiring. That's good. But I think I'm inspired by hope in the future. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that as a follow-up. Um, do you also find inspiration in the youth, not just being a minister, but also being um, very keen on youth empowerment? I think when you think about um, young people, us, when you think about young people, um, young people are the primary, really, we're the only ones who can transform the future. We create the future. Mm-hmm. And if we are the ones who are going to create the future, um, then we must be the ones who solve the problems today for the future. Um, I believe in my team is generally young. Uh, my team at DSTI, my delivery team um, at the ministry, because these are people who um, these are people who are not trying to give excuses. Um, for for themselves, it can be young people. Who, I'm just setting up because I have to join cabinet. Oh, no um, problem. Um. But yeah, um, thank you very much for for your time. Thank you, thank you, thank for you having. Um, I know you talked about the the love notes. Is there anything you would like to plug? We always let our guests plug <laughs> a project, you know. So tell us what you want everyone to know. I don't. Um, or where people can find you. That too. At the Senge. Okay. On Twitter, Moinina underscore S on Insta. I just joined Instagram because. My friends were like, why are you doing Instagram? So I joined Instagram two months ago. That's awesome. <laughs> and I suppose I comment a lot on Facebook. Oh, I write a lot on Facebook. Um, Great. Well, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much. And you, and can, you can find, find us at Square Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Bye. 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 West Square Bone, I got this to West Square Bone. West Square Bone, West Square Bone, I got this to West Square Bone.